be seated. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Everybody ready for Thanksgiving? How many of you have bought your turkeys? Some of them? A couple of, some of you are just going to go and loaf off of mom and dad for your turkeys. That's what you're going to do? That's what you're going to do? Yeah. I hate turkey. I do. I do. I, I hate it. It's, it's so dry. Oh, my goodness. And I know, I know people will come up to me afterwards and say, I know how to make it moist, and then I'm going to tell you, you know you don't. No, you don't. Only way you can make that stuff moist is if you dip it in a bunch of gravy, right? That's the only way you do it, and I don't like gravy. My wife does. My wife loves gravy, but I don't like gravy, so, you know, maybe some olive oil on top of it, or I don't know. I just, uh, it's just nasty. I'll, I'll, it's just nasty. I'll tell you this, my dad, um, yeah, there it is. My dad, um, he wants us all to come over for Thanksgiving, and I think that's a great, a great thing, and I'll eat a piece of turkey for him, but it's going to be a very small piece of white meat turkey. It's just not, not that good. I would rather have, I mean, why... You know, of all the animals that they could have killed, I mean, there had to be like a buffalo for steak. You know what I mean? Something, do you know what I'm saying? Like steak or cow or, I, I would even go, went for a deer steak. I mean, deer's, deer's fine if you make it right, right? You are looking at me like you've never had it. <laughs> Turkey, yeah. Turkey is, is for people that, yeah. There are different types of people in the world. People that have palates and people that eat turkey. <laughs> and I'm messing, I'm messing around. I think, I think turkey is just fine. I just don't like it. My wife loves it, wants me to eat every time she bakes it, but I just, I just don't like it that much. All right, enough of that. Um, we are in a series called All Things. This is the third part of it, actually the last part. And to start this one, I ran across a video this week of a guy from, um, I think, West Virginia, and he did this song, this kind of trio song with, I'm assuming his twin brothers, that's what I'm assuming that this is, and so uh, I would like you to watch that as we start this particular. This is what I have thought about the lesson today. course is Seth Purnell and he's been put together these videos for online and for the children's worship for ever since COVID started March and he did that this week I just was cracking up over it he's he is really in the last year and a half like tapped into his creativity and 
you may not have seen some of his youth events, but some of his youth events are just absolutely out of this world. The things that he thinks through in order to put them together and, and the creativity that goes into it and the mere fun that those kids have, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. So I'm very, I'm very thankful for Seth and his leadership in that regard. And, and he's, he's, just, he's just awesome. I just think he's awesome. So, yeah. He's not in here right now because he's, he's doing something. And he really didn't want to see any. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So, so but yeah. By the way, that's available for purchase uh, <laughs> later. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. <clears throat> that's where we are. Numbers chapter 13. And it all comes down to this right here. The whole series comes down to this one. So Numbers chapter 13. Verse 2 says this. Well, let's start with verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spout the land of Canaan, which I am given to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So to kind of bring you up to speed, like a couple of months ago, they have exited out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They stopped at a mountain called Mount Sinai. They stayed there for a little while, okay? God was talking to them. There's a lot of stuff that happened. This is actually two lunar cycles after they left Mount Sinai. Now, the reason I'm using that is because in this particular day, that's how they did their calendar. It was lunar cycles. So the moon would go dark, it would go full, it would wane back to dark, and at that moment, that is when they would start the calendar over. So two lunar cycles after Mount Sinai is when this particular passage has taken place. Moses has selected 12 men from 12 of the tribes. The one left out is Levi. The tribe of Levi didn't go. But he, he selected these men, and he was told by God to do it, and these men were supposed to go into the land. They were supposed to scope it out. You see... They had been promised the promised land, and they, it was supposed to be a conquest. So Moses thought it would be great, and God did too, if they would just go in and they would look at it for 40 days and come back with information, like tactical information, stuff so they would know when they walked into it, they would know what they were going to get into, okay? So it, it, was, all by faith, it was all by faith that they were supposed to do this, and they were supposed to go in. So... They went into the land, and in verse 17, it says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into Najib and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak. That'd be very important. Like if you're about to battle somebody, are they strong or are they weak? What are we going to expect from them as resistance? Whether they are few or many, is there a lot of people or is there just few people. And, and how would we do this knowing that information? And whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, that's important too. I mean, are we going into a good property or is this a bad property? Is this, you know, what is this? And whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. Because if they were strongholds, that would be one tactical way to go about going into the land. If it's just a bunch of huts, I mean, this is going to be pretty easy for us to take over. So that's that's the information that they're trying to get. Verse 20 says, and whether the land is rich or poor, are a lot of rich people here, poor people, and whether there are trees in it or not. 
Are there trees or are there not trees? Have they cut down a bunch of trees or are there trees in it? Is the land fertile? Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Now, what we know from that phrase is that in our calendar, it would be more like the end of July is when they went into this property. So about the end of July, they decided to go in and and scope out the land. Now, so far, so good, right? We're going to go in, we're going to get information, we're going to bring back that tactical information, and then we're going to go into the land is what everybody's thinking, okay? But then you get to verse 25, and it says this, At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. Okay, good. They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of all the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So far, so good. So far, so good. 27. They told him, we came to the land which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey, And this is its fruit. I mean, this is an amazing fruit. However, however, the people in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, them going into the land and them spying it out and this report coming back is a test. It's a test that's put there by God. God is testing to see if they have faith. God is testing to see if they have courage. God is testing to see if if they are going to trust him to take the land. That's what he's doing. In verse 28, it says, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. In verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of Najib. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea. And along the Jordan, there's a lot of people dwelling here, a lot of strong cities. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb said, let's do this. These are the facts, but let's do it. Let's go into it. Let's do it. Then we get to verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. They are stronger than we are. They are saying the land is great, but it has people. (laughs) The land is awesome, but there's a bunch of people here. And all of a sudden, these 10, 10 of these 12 spies took information that they gave to the people and they put their own spin on it. They said, the land is strong, there's a lot of people, it's flowing with milk and honey, but here's the commentary, we can't go in because we are not as strong as they are and they are going to defeat us and they put their little spin on it and what they did at that moment was they began to infuse worry and fear into the culture. That's what they did. All these people were supposed to do was go into the land and bring back a report. They were not supposed to put their little commentary on it because of their fears, because of their concerns, because of what they thought we should do. It wasn't up to them. It was up to God concerning what they should do. 
But they got scared and they got fearful and they backed off. It is amazing. It is amazing how this is still the same way the world works today. It's absolutely amazing that we take facts and put our spin on it over here to lead people in a particular direction of fear and being scared. You see, Caleb is doing something different and so is Joshua. Joshua and Caleb are taking the facts that are in front of them and they are saying this, God brought us this far. He brought us out of Egypt. He took us through a sea. Do y'all remember that? I mean, we can say a bunch of things about all these plagues that happened or all, all these firstborn that died, but the waters parted. Do y'all not remember it? Do you remember us being at a mountain and a voice speaking to us from the mountain? God has brought us this far. There is no way that you could make a case that God hadn't brought them to the edge of the promised land. Sorry, I, I got Baptist there and almost spit. Which is very not good in this environment, right? Very, just got there, right? But brought us to the edge of the promised land. We can do this. Caleb and Joshua was saying, our God that is within us and that is helping us is stronger than any adversary that can come our way. It's stronger than anything this world can throw at us. It's stronger. We can do this. But then you have these 10 people that work for whoever they work for Spreading news throughout the camp saying, we can't, we can't, we've got to be safe. We need to back off. Maybe we shouldn't go in. That's what they're saying. So the text continues here. They don't just stop there. In verse 32, they say, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours Oh, it devours its inhabitants. Oh, it's, it's horrible. It devours them. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Dude, if that be, starts becoming our concern that people are taller than us, I'm gonna stay at home a lot. <laughs> I'll never go to the Ratledge's house. Growing big out here, tall, not big, tall. They're just unbelievable. They're great height. They just got muscles. Verse 33, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who came from Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seemed to them. We're doomed. We're absolutely doomed. Doomed. So the first thing I want to point out here is this, you need to be careful Yeah, there. Be careful with people who are always bringing bad reports. Be careful with people who are always bringing bad reports. Because if you listen to them, you will miss your God-given opportunity. See, whatever is happening in our culture is a God-given opportunity. I don't care if it's a virus 
or a political thing that's happening, or if it's something that's happening in your community, or if it's some type of information that you've received that's health-wise to you. Whatever it is, is a God-given opportunity for you to step into faith and shine for Jesus. That is your opportunity. And if you listen to the people who are always bringing a bad report, who are always grumbling about things, who are always saying, we can't, we can't, we can't, that is the moment that if you listen to them, you will miss your God-given opportunity to shine for him in this dark world. And you do not need to miss that opportunity to shine. Here's another thing. Be careful with people who make you feel small and powerless. Small and powerless. Look at verse 13, um, well, verse uh, 20, 33. It says, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seemed to them. We're just grasshoppers. I mean, they're gonna crush us. If we go into the land, we are going to die. It's 100% certainty that we're going to die. Be careful with people that make you feel powerless and small. If you listen to them, you will miss your God-given opportunity. There isn't a Christian in here that doesn't have the power to face what is thrown at you today or tomorrow because the God that is in you is greater and more powerful than anything that can come against you than the power that can come against you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We can stand, we can approach it. We can step into faith rather than, oh my goodness, we're gonna die. Oh my goodness, I've got to protect. Oh my goodness, I've got to, oh my goodness, I've got to, I've got to. No, 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 no. You take the facts and instead of spinning it negatively and listening to people that are, you stand in faith and you say, God has given this to me for this appointed time and I'm gonna step into it with faith and face it head on. God is inside of me. I do not want to miss my opportunity. See, I believe the church has a greater mission. I don't know if you know this or not, but people die all the time. People die all the time. I've done tons of funerals. People die all the time. There's an appointed time for man to be born. And as I look through this room, nobody's missed that day. Think about that. You're here. You didn't miss. You didn't schedule when you were going to be born, did you? You went somewhere else before this. I hope you're not Mormon. You went somewhere else before this and you said, okay, I think I'm gonna be bored or whatever your birthday is because you liked that birthday. You didn't do that. And in fact, your parents, even though they had a little part with it, didn't ordain the time that you were going to have life. It is God that gives conception. It is God that forms the baby in the womb. It is God that gives life. And, is, and you had an appointed time to be born and you also have an appointed time to die and you're not gonna miss either one of those dates. You're not gonna miss it. So people... People die all the time. And God knows when you're gonna pass and God knows when you're going to live and you just trust him. Whatever the day brings forth, you step into it. You face it head on. Check this out. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. Verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse one. 
And the people wept at night. Do you see what's happened here? We've gone from people that came to the edge of the promised land to just being worried about their survival. They're weeping at night. They're staying up at night. And in verse two, it says, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. We all die. Verse three, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Why is he doing this to us? Why is he doing this to us? We're gonna die. And then he said, then they say this, our wives and our little ones will become prey. Let me translate that for you or give you a, a paraphrase of that. It's saying this, don't you care about the women and the children? Don't you care about the women and the children? If we go into the land, you're, you're saying that you don't care about the women and the children. Do you see how that feels and how compelling that is? You don't care about the women and the children if you go into the land because we're gonna be crushed, because we're gonna be killed, because we're going to... That doesn't sound like anything familiar, does it? Listen, I wanna remind you that this was put together a year ago. And if you think for a moment that I'm that smart, you do not know me. We need to be careful listening to people that play this little care. Don't you care for people? Don't you care for this? Don't you care for that? Because what they are selling is fear. And what you need to say is, yes, and so does God. And this is our moment, and I have faith in the moment that my God who is good is doing the right thing. And he has this in front of me. And I'm gonna take the facts that we have right now and I'm gonna live according to the facts. And the negative spin over here or the ignoring it spin over here, I'm not going to do. I'm gonna face the situation head on with the facts. I'm gonna step into faith and not weariness, not scared, not fearful. I'm gonna step into faith and say, look, I don't know why this is in front of me, but God's gonna take care of it and I'm gonna do my part and shine for him. You see, death happens to everybody and that should propel the church and believers to do this, to share the gospel more fervently. That's what it should do. If people are going to die, then we need to tell them when you die, you go to one or two places and Jesus wants you to go to heaven. We want you to go to heaven. We do not want you to die and go to hell. We want you to go to heaven because that is God's plan. That is what he wants. He loves you enough to provide a way for you to get there. See, the church steps up and say, here's our circumstances and here, here's how we can spin it for the gospel. Here's how we can get the message that there is life after death to the people. This is how we can grab a hold of what Jesus Christ has for the church and push it forward for his glory and his honor and the furtherance of his kingdom. This is what we do and we're serious about it. And so whatever is thrown our way is thrown our way and we use that as a, as a mechanism to get the gospel to people. That is our goal. And if Christians are shrinking back and being faithless, we're no different than the world. We have to step forward and be faithful to God and share. 
the message of salvation with people. That is what we do. People die of a lot of stuff. I've done funerals for people that had cancer. I've done funerals for people that died of pneumonia. I've done babies that have passed away. I've, you cannot imagine how many funerals I've done, more than weddings, which the two, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just a little joking there because we got a little serious. But nonetheless, people, people die and you can pass by the graves, the graveyards. And what you see at that moment is not people that died because of a certain thing that entered into their life. You had people that died because of the penalty of sin. And there's a certain level of those people that went to heaven. There's a certain level of those people that went to hell. And the church, when stuff happens in the culture and it's tough, we step into faith and say, hey, here's the information. We're not gonna scour back in fear, but we're gonna figure out how to stand and get the gospel to people because that is what really matters. We are not going to miss this opportunity. Have you ever thought for a moment that these people that are gonna miss their opportunity, by the way, they're gonna miss their opportunity to go into the promised land. For 40 years, you're gonna go around in the wilderness. Have you ever thought for a moment that if they had stepped into the moment like Caleb and Joshua, what would have happened? If they had stepped into that moment and they started taking over the land with no weapons, they didn't get weapons till later. So they have, I don't know what kind of tools they had. They had whole hose and pitchfork. I don't, I don't know what they had. Knives, pots. Maybe they hit people up there. I don't know how they fought. I don't know how they did this. Very few of them had swords. Can you imagine them stepping into that moment and going into the promised land and they begin to take it all over and word gets back to Egypt? And then Egypt is like, I know it was rough when they were here, but at least we're still alive. Jericho, nobody's there anymore. At least we're still alive. Can you imagine the testimony of those people stepping into that moment, going back to Egypt and Egypt be like, oh, maybe we should quit serving these foreign gods and serve the God that they have. That is the testimony that would have went back to them. But because they didn't step into that moment, they lost their witness because they lost their faith. And when you lose your faith and you go to fear and you let that guide you and you listen to the voices that are, that are destructive, that is the moment that you can't achieve what God wants for you in your life. So verse two says, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. They grumbled. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall? Our wives and our little children will become prey. Verse four, and they said to one another, let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Let us choose a leader that will lead us back into slavery. Let us choose a leader that will lead us away from freedom. You see, this is what God wants you to do. God wants you to live in the freedom that he has provided to you through the resurrection of his son. He wants you to take the facts that are in front of you and he wants you to make the best decision that you can make according to those facts. He doesn't want you to 
to spin them this way or that. He just wants you to look at the facts and make your best decision. And he wants you to step into that moment of faith and he wants you to achieve something for him. It is not about how can I protect myself? How can I keep myself safe? It's how can I approach this situation and be a Christian in this environment? How can I serve God in this environment? How can I step forward and be strong? And I'm telling you, in our culture, the culture desperately needs a group of people that have hope, that aren't grumbling, that have hope and aren't fearful, that have hope and are stepping into this moment and doing something about it. We can't change what's happening. We can't do that. But we can respond in a godly way and we can respond and shine for him. And I'm gonna tell you this. I am committed to being faithful to God. And if I am the last one standing, that is okay with me. That is okay with me. Because the one that's standing with me is worth it. He's worth it. Check this out. Verse five, and Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, he had no parents. And Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They said to all the congregation of the people, this land which we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. The Lord delights in us. He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Here's what's happening. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb are pleading with the people and they're trying to give them hope. Look, you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to worry about this. You need to step into faith. You need to step into hope. We can do this. God's good. Let's do this. And this is what is happening. This is what happened to them. The very next verse says, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. I wanna ask you a question. Why is it the people that promote hope, the ones that people throw stones at? Why is it the people that, that are stepping into faith and stepping into a moment, why is it the people that are scared, the ones that throw stones at the people that have faith? I don't see stones being thrown at the people that don't have faith. It's not coming from that direction because people that promote hope want all these people to come with them, want all these people to be encouraged, want all these people to see beyond their circumstances into a God that created them that has everything in control. Are you tracking? Why do the people with hope get, because it doesn't play into the world system of destruction and defeat. There is a bigger thing going on where the spiritual warfare happens and the other side that is dark wants humankind to be desperate and defeated and depressed and they want to push you down as much as possible. And so when someone comes up with light, they throw rocks at the light. They throw rocks at the people with hope. And I'm telling you, we need to be a people that say, hey, I'm gonna still promote hope regardless. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna promote faith regardless because there's something greater going on. I'm not going to miss the opportunity. 
I'm not going to miss this by grumbling. I'm not going to miss it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 26 of chapter 14, and to Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Have you ever thought for a moment that your grumbling can be taken as a prayer from God that he might answer for you? That is scary. Grumbling creates an environment. It's not a good one. It's an environment where you can't be thankful, you can't be grateful, you can't be gracious. You're only hurtful. That's what grumbling does, complaining. And sometimes God takes those grumblings as prayer requests and he answers them for you. That's scary. And say to them, verse 28, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number listed in the senses of 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land that I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb and Joshua. Those are the only two. Why? because those were the only two people who kept their faith and tried to lead, lead people into hope. Listen, that's what I want to be. I don't want to miss my opportunity. I don't want to get so scared and fearful that, and a feeling of out of control that, that I, I don't lead people into hope, that I, don't, I, that I miss my opportunity. And I don't think you want to miss your opportunity either. Don't miss your opportunity. Don't do it. couple of things I'm thankful for. First, I'm thankful that God doesn't operate in a democracy. I'm thankful that his church people don't get together and decide what he's going to do. I'm glad that we don't, do not have a vote. I'm very thankful that he makes decisive, the best decisions, and we just follow. I think that's awesome. It's the best case scenario. I'm glad he doesn't operate in a democracy. I'm thankful that faith in God is not determined by the majority. My faith is not determined by you. It's determined from my individual decision to believe that God has the best things in mind. That's what my faith is in. I'm thankful for that. Thankful that the majority has nothing to do with that. I'm thankful that we are under a king, a theocracy, but the God that created us and is good is in control, and that's who I submit to. Aren't you glad for that? That's who it is. I don't have to submit to my circumstances. I don't have to let them lord over me. I, I can step into the moment and have faith and live it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a good one. So do not take to heart all the things that people say. I forgot about the first, oh my goodness. You need to say that to yourself. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Say that one more time like you mean it. Do not take to heart all the things people say. Some of us need to put that on our refrigerator. 
Some of us need to put it in our cars. Some of us need to be reminded by Alexa when we get home. Did you know you could do that? Like when you get home and she knows you're there, she can say, oh, by the way, do not take to heart all the things that people say. She can tell you that when you get home. She senses your presence in the room. The government is listening. Let me tell you, they pass by my house. There's a lot of boring stuff that they don't want to... We have fun, but they don't want to listen to Jesus music, I'm sure. But do not take to heart all the things that people say. Do not do it. When you take it to heart, you start to follow them. Next screen. If you listen to them, you'll miss your God-given opportunity. Now Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, which says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things? Yes, all things. You mean all things? Yes, all things. Circumstances, whatever it is, do it without grumbling. Well, Philip, you often talk about context. What does, what does the rest of the context say? You don't want to go there because it gets worse. It gets worse. It's all things without grumbling. This means when you come home and there's dishes in the sink, are on the counter and they haven't put them in the dishwasher. It's just the dishwasher is here, the counter is here, put them in, open, in the, in the, you have walked from the table with the dish. You've set it here. Why not just open the dish? I'm not asking you to turn it on. I'm just asking you to stick the stupid dish in there. I will turn it on. It's okay, I will turn it on. Why can't, on here, so it, see, there should never be anything in the sink or on the counter. We have a dishwasher. In all things, you do not grumble. On all things, all things. Obviously, I need this verse on my dishwasher. <laughs> do all things without grumbling. You come home, the socks are still out. The bed is still not made. The kid has been home all day long. School is not that long. It's not that long. Why isn't the bed made? Why, why have we forgotten that the bed's supposed to be made? Why haven't we picked up after ourselves? What is it? Do everything without grumbling. You don't grumble about that. You quit grumbling. Just think, the environment that you're grumbling brings into existence. The tension that the grumbling brings into existence. So in all things, do all things without grumbling <laughs> or disputing. I'm so glad Nicole's here today. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's right, I did. And I knew you would respond that way because we've been married 24 years. I've known you for 25. Here's the reason you do everything without grumbling. You cannot be thankful and grumble at the same time. It is impossible. You cannot be grateful and grumble at the same time. You cannot be grateful for what God has given you. You can't be grateful for the way that he has brought you this far by faith. You cannot be grateful and grumble at the same time. In fact, when you grumble, you're saying that God has always done the worst thing for me. He's always done what is wrong for me. That's what you're doing when you're grumbling. Why 
all. Why do we need to grumble in all things? It's a great quote. We need to not grumble in all things because it is hard to scare people who are full of gratitude. It is hard to scare people that are full of gratitude. I'm thankful for everything that I have. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my little car. I'm thankful for my computer. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for the clothes that I wear. I'm thankful for the different things in my house and what I watch on TV and, and the things I have in my backyard. I'm thankful that I have to mow the grass today. It's okay, maybe not today. Mow the grass very soon. I'm glad to have grass that I can grow. I'm glad for my environment. I'm grateful for my church. I am grateful because I know that everything I have is on loan from God. I'm grateful for it. There is nothing I have that I deserve. Now, did I work? Do I pay my bills? Absolutely. Do I use money for my food? Yes. But even the money that I receive from working is still something that God has given me and he can take it at any time. I'm grateful. He can take it, but he's given it to me. It is hard to scare people that are grateful because when you're grateful and thankful to God for what he's given to you, if he takes it away, he takes it away. Or if he gives you more, he gives you more. It's all up to him. You're just grateful to be his child. You're grateful for the fact that he has rescued you from the penalty of sin and has saved your soul. And he has a better future for you. You are grateful for that. You're thankful for the cross. You're thankful for the resurrection. You're thankful for the life that comes from that. You're thankful. It's hard to scare people. It's hard to scare people that are grateful. People that aren't grateful, you can scare them, right? Scare them pretty easy. Oh my goodness, I might lose my car. Oh my goodness, I might lose my house. Oh my goodness, I might. Oh my goodness, I might. Well, if you're already grateful for it, it you didn't deserve it anyway. You didn't deserve it anyway. Gratitude is linked to hope. Gratitude remembers how God delivers on his promises and he always delivers on his promises. Discontentment and grumbling shows a lack of gratitude. That's what it shows. Because you can't be grateful and grumble at the same time. All things. Do not grumble in all things. Next verse, turn to... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. This is what it says. <clears throat> Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in what? All circumstances. Do not grumble in all circumstances, but give thanks in all circumstances. But Philip, I just, I'm just a person who has to get things off my chest and I just have to spew it out to just get it off of my heart. I just have to do that. Well, two things. Number one, the people in your life are tired of you vomiting on them. And second, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 says this. Is it not there? All things are not helpful. 
You don't grumble. You don't spew it out. You don't have to get it off your chest. You're grateful. You're thankful. You hold it in and you're careful what comes out of your mouth. Because to be honest, we're made in the image of God and we can speak environments into existence. That is our power. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This means that if you're not thankful, if you're not grateful, you're not in the will of God because the will of God for you is to give thanks. End of story. I'm not even giving that a spin. I mean, it is all just right there. Look at verse uh, 16. It says, rejoice always. Rejoice when? Rejoice in bad circumstances? Yeah. Rejoice in good circumstances? Yeah. Do those two types of rejoicing look different? Absolutely. But you rejoice in all things. You're still thankful. You're still rejoicing. You're still stepping into it with faith. It says, pray without ceasing, verse 17. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then in 19, it says, do not quench the spirit. How do you quench the spirit? When you grumble. Have you ever had that person, and you know this person, they come into the room and it is a dark cloud. Their demeanor is like. And honestly, every time someone passes me like that, no matter where they are, I think, wow, that's a blessing. <laughs> right? You don't do that. You, you don't quench the spirit. And when you grumble, when you complain, when you're not living in faith, when you're not living with gratitude, you are quenching the spirit's power in your life. You're missing your opportunity and you're quenching his power in your life. Gratitude. I'm going to end with um, Psalm 100. Because honestly, this is what we should do every single day in every circumstance. We should take these words and speak them or read through this to remind us to not grumble and to rejoice and be thankful. And this is what it says. <clears throat> Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Wow. God is good. He's never not been good. He's been good to me. He's been good to you. In all of our circumstances, he's always been good. His steadfast love endures forever. Listen, God's love is not reckless. It's not here one day, gone the next. It's not reckless. It's steadfast. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. He loves you. He loves you regardless of who you are, where you are. He loves you. 
He loves you regardless of your fears, your lack of faith, your, your, um, your expression of faith. He loves you. His steadfast love has continued for him and he, for you and he has cared for you. Steadfast love endures forever. It never, ever stops. And his faithfulness to all generations. There has never been a moment in our life where God hasn't been faithful to us. He's worthy of praise, worthy of gratitude, worthy of us having the confidence to step into each moment with faith in him and achieve the purpose that he has for us in that moment so that we do not miss the opportunities he has for us in this life. Amen? All things, all things work out for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stage you've given us.